have been in a series, and this is the last one of the series, called Anchored. And we've been looking at some beliefs that we need to hold that are really important to help us stay positioned where the Lord would want us to and not drift uh, when, the, when the storms of life come and not get uh, kind of um, uh, so disoriented that we can't make our way. And so we want to be anchored in some things. And our, our way, the way we started this a number of weeks ago was to talk about how Jesus was on the boat. Remember this? He's on the boat with his disciples and they're crossing from one side of the sea to the other of the this large lake, a storm picks up and the disciples are freaking out, but Jesus is calm and asleep in the, in the boat. Remember this? And so we talked about how what we're trying to be is people like Jesus. That's at the end of the day, everything we do as a church is just trying to do that. We're just trying to be people who are like Jesus. And as we look at the life of Jesus, I think we would see these five anchor points, these five uh, things that Jesus held on to that helped him to be like the kind of person who's like, yeah, I know it's storming, but it's going to be okay. All right. So those things are God is good, right? Basic level belief that's so, so critically important. Without that belief, none of the rest of this makes any sense. God is good. The second one is I am love. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Like that, that's really good news. There's no question about whether or not you were loved. Many of the people go through, through life wondering whether or not they're loved. That question has been answered, settled, it's done. You are loved. You're also never alone. That's our third anchor. I'm never alone. God is always with me. That was the Psalm 23 thing from a couple weeks ago, right? God is always with me. Not only is he with me, he's placed me in family. I not only get to be a son of a father, I get to have brothers and sisters. Uh, so, so God is always with me. His people are always with me. And that helps us to keep going. And then last week we talked about how we are sent with purpose, that we're God's handiwork, his creation, and that he's created these good works in advance. So we have something that God has positioned us to do. And it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a stay-at-home mom or a business person or a janitor or whatever it is that you are, like God has good things he's prepared in advance for you to do. And I hope that even this week, hearing some of those things from one another as you were sharing, like, oh, I didn't think about that as a thing. And it's funny, like for me, there were probably five different things this week that had I not like just preached about that, I probably wouldn't have seen as a good work for, for me to step into. Anyone else feel that way this past week? It's like, oh my gosh, like we stopped by the road. There was somebody who like their car had gone off the road and we helped them. Well, like that's just a thing you do. You don't, I don't think about that as a good work God has prepared in advance for me to do. But in the moment, it's like, this is a good work God has prepared in advance for me to do, you know? So, so having that in your mind is so helpful because wherever you are, God has placed you there, Right? And, and there's a purpose and intent. So this last one that we're going to talk about today is how my future is secure. My future is secure. And our anchor text uh, is going to be in a, a letter from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. It's kind of in the middle, towards the back half of your Bible. Uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's got these few phrases here. I'm just going to read them. We're not going to stand today. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that afar outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is all about how our future is secure. 
So a, a few years ago, uh, I was having a conversation with a mentor of mine. And truthfully, I don't even remember what it was we were talking about, what the situation was. Uh, I just remember that I was feeling like, is this really worth it? Like, it, like this frustration, this like angst that I'm feeling, is, is this really kind of worth it? And as we were talking through this, he said, you know, Chael, we have to know what the prize is if we're going to feel like it's worth the price. We have to know what the prize is if we feel like it's actually worth the price. You have to know what is the prize at the end of this. Where is this headed? And if you know that, if that prize at the end is something that you really value, you can go through almost anything. You'll pay almost any price if it's something that you really want. And I don't, again, it was so funny because I don't even remember what the situation is because that thought in my mind was so profound. It was exactly what I needed to hear in the moment. I needed to know what is at the end of this for me. What is that? And, and so, so much so that once I figured that out, I didn't even care about whatever the circumstance was going. It just, I just knew it was worth it. And you've all experienced this in some way. There's something in your life that you have, you've kind of looked out into the future and said, you know what? That's something I want. That's something I think is worthy and of value. And it's worth it to sacrifice to get there. So one of the things for me was when I first went to uh, grad school, to seminary, uh, I, I, my grades were terrible from my undergrad, and so I was going into my, into my seminary education, and I had this, this belief that I wanted to go on and get a PhD one day and teach at a college or a seminary, and so I was determined when I went in that I was going to make up for all of my bad grades in college. Like, my GPA was so bad, they barely let me in seminary. That's really bad. Seminaries are like, yeah, anybody, come on in. You're fine. Uh, they don't care. So I was like, I was determined that I was going to, so, so all throughout, I stayed up late. I, guys, before seminary, kids, don't listen to this, Chloe. Uh, I did not study. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know what it was like to actually dig in. So I just did the bare minimum I could my whole life just to get by. And then I got to seminary, got this grad program. It's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do this. And so I had to put in tons and tons of hours, uh, lots of late nights. Lots of, like, late nights, papers, lots of Jen and I having conversations of her saying, who are you? What, like, I have never seen you read this much in your life. I mean, I would literally, I would have Greek flashcards because you had to learn how to read Greek, and I would have Hebrew flashcards, and they would go everywhere with me. It didn't matter. Any minute I had, I was sitting there, I'd be thumbing through these Greek flashcards and through these Hebrew flashcards because I had this thing I wanted to prove that I could get a 4.0. I was, I was determined. Because I had to do it to make, I had to make, make up for it because the prize for me at the end was that if I got that grade, I could potentially get into a PhD program. So I worked really, really hard because the price was worth it. And the whole entire time, as long as I knew what the prize was and I had my eyes fixed on that, it seemed like it was all worth it. And so I think all of us know what that's like to have something that we're like, have out there in the future, some valuable outcome. And we know that we'll endure almost anything. And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. He's saying, don't lose heart. He says it right here at the beginning of the sec. Don't lose heart. These are, some of the, these are three of the most important words you could ever say to yourself or hear. Don't lose heart. Even if we don't define, you know what it means. Maybe if you don't know what it means to have heart, you know what it means to lose heart, right? So don't lose 
hearts. Right now things seem hard, but there is a future that somehow will make all of this worth it. Here's what he says in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's what Paul's saying. The price is not only worth the price, that once you actually get to the end, the prize is so valuable, it will feel as though you never paid any price at all. It's going to be so worth it at the end. Whatever is standing for us as believers at the end of this life will be so valuable, it will be as if you never sacrificed anything. We'll just find that more in just a second, but here's the key thing. Like, uh, the, what Paul is talking about it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around and understand because there's nothing on earth that can possibly compare to this future that Paul sees for us who are in Christ. Like, and so all throughout this, this like these few verses, he's like, um, he's reaching for the language to properly understand because there's no prize here on earth, not one, that is absolutely guaranteed. There's no prize on earth. That's absolutely guaranteed. It doesn't matter what it is, what you're going after in life. There is always the possibility, this side of heaven, that the thing that you hope for won't happen. That the thing that you sacrificed for and gave for and gave and sat and gave up everything, whatever it is, there is always that possibility that it won't happen. Paul's talking about something here that he's saying is fundamentally different. That there is something here that's guaranteed in our future. And we just don't have a context for that. I mean, so even on a silly level, it's about to be Black Friday next week. Do you remember like 10 to 15 years ago when there was the craze of people staying up all night in parking lots? Remember this? Who did it? Come on, confession time. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Some of you, Rob Cordell's back there. Me, I did it. I did it. Rob learned how to profit off of this, right? But there were a lot of people, I don't know if you remember that, there would be a guaranteed amount of things and you would go and you would stay up all night. And then do you remember the riots when like the place wouldn't have the thing? Like even though they stayed out all night in the cold and whatever, I mean, there was no guarantee even though it said it in the paper. Like there are X amount you'd get there. And it's like, no, there's not. There are lots of different people, lots of disappointed people. In my case, even thinking about my own, my seminary degree, I worked my butt off. I worked so hard for four years. I got to the very end, and I had, um, uh, I had one last step that I had to complete. And it, it required a professor signing off on something. And somehow, in the communication with this professor, he misunderstood a question that I had and thought that I was asking, asking him to lie for me about something. And I, to the life of me, still this day, like, can't figure out how he got that from our conversation. But I was a thread away from losing everything because he, he was accusing me of asking him to lie and cheat academically. I was absolutely brokenhearted. I was, I was angry. I was frustrated. I mean, it was, it was razor thin. Because all it would take is for him to say, this person cheated, and guess what? My degree is gone, and all my hopes of the future academically were gone. Now, thankfully, it, we worked it out. It, we, it, he never agreed to that, 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 that there was a misunderstanding. I actually had to change advisors, and it was a whole, whole big thing. But at the end of the day, I got my degree. Yay, okay? 
Yay. Uh, but it wasn't guaranteed, even though I didn't do anything wrong. It was just that quick. It could have been gone. Think about all the professional athletes that you, that you know who like, have worked their whole life to get to the pinnacle of whatever it is they do, only to have an injury in the final game of the season before the Super Bowl. Like You can tell story after story after story. There is nothing on this side of the sun that's guaranteed. You're like, this is depressing. Yes, if it was not for what Paul is talking about. Because what Paul is talking about is something entirely different. Something that's totally and completely secure. A guaranteed outcome for you and I as followers of Jesus. And the prize isn't dependent on the price we pay or how hard we work at it. Instead, Paul is talking about the prize of our salvation, which Jesus has already paid the price for. So therefore, it's a done deal. Your future is secure. It doesn't depend on how hard you work at it. It doesn't depend on how hard you believe it or you don't lie. It was paid for on the cross by Jesus in the past. And that past has secured your future forever and ever and ever and ever. It's done. It's a settled matter because what Jesus has done for our future. That future for us, that prize that we're reaching for, that Paul's talking about, is eternity. Forever and ever with God. It's our deepest longings and desires being satisfied in him. Everything that your heart longs for and reaches for and desires, like all of those things that are, are left kind of undone here in life, are fully satisfied in eternity. Somebody should be freaking excited about that. I mean, like, guys, do you realize what a hope that is for us? That is the hope of heaven. That is what Jesus gave his life for on the cross. So that eternity would be filled with us and him and you guys forever and ever worshiping him. Our bodies and our minds and our souls whole, completely. I don't know about you, but I feel like lately I've just been, um, as I'm journeying with the Lord, I've just continued to find areas of my life. This is the Lord's bringing conviction and saying, Chael, this is just not, this is not all that I would desire for you. One day, that will not be a conversation the Lord and I have. Can you imagine one day not having to confess sin before the Lord? A sinless world, guys. A sick, there's no more sickness, no more disease. Read, read the last page of Revelation in your Bible, the very last thing. And think about what it means that God will dwell with us forever. There will be no need for all the things that we're doing here in this church because our life will forever be with God. That is our future, and it is not in question. It's a, like an indisputable fact about the future. It's an unchanging fact about our future. There is nothing like that on earth, guys. Nothing. This is one of the reasons why Christianity is like a faith. It's something that's so different, that's so otherworldly, because we just, there's no other comparison in this life like that. Peter, another disciple of Jesus, uh, in his letter, talks about how this is our inheritance that, that Jesus paid this incredible price for us. Uh, not with something that was shallow and empty, but something that had a high price that's so priceless. And it's an inheritance that won't, that won't fade. It's an inheritance that's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter. Like, the longer we wait for it, the better it is. 
That inheritance is absolutely fixed. There's no, like, the markets can crash and it doesn't matter. Like, there is no spiritual market crashing as it relates to this. Our future is secure. We've been thinking a lot about retirement in our household, and, um, and, and I'm, like, I'm starting to think about, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough money saved, and, I, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, that is not a part of my relationship with the Lord. It's not a part of it because my future in him is secure. I don't know what this life will look like. I don't know what my bank accounts will look like, but I know what eternity will look like. That's something that's beyond compare, and it's totally secure for us. Jesus in his life and in his death on the cross and in his resurrection make a way for that future for us to be 100% secure. So that's why Paul would say in verse 16, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There, that word glory is like such a loaded word. There's a beautiful ending for us. That whatever troubles we experience don't even compare to the beautiful ending of the story. So he says, don't lose heart. The language here is a bit funny. The, the, Paul is like trying to describe this reality. Even him, he's having a hard time doing it. So in the, in the original language in Greek, he bunches up words that are kind of like nonsensical to try to explain this glory that's about to be revealed to us. He uses the word, the word that we know as hyperbole. He uses it two times in a row. Hyperbole, hyperbole, that's how good the glory is, right? It doesn't make any sense in Greek, and Paul knows it. <laughs> like, that, that's like... I, it just blows my mind. Like, he's like, this is so incredibly good for you, the glory that's waiting for you. It's not to be compared with anything on earth. Our future is so bright that, like, we can't find the words to compare it with what we currently experience. Yet, in the middle of all of that, there are tensions. There are tensions. It says here that there is this light and momentary afflictions that we're experiencing, and they're achieving for us this glory. Well, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are earning this thing in the future, this beautiful life with God forever, by our hardships. That's not what this is saying. Like, there's a, there's a branch of Christianity that essentially says, like, the more hard it is, like, that earns for you uh, extra credit with God, and then one day you get to be with him because you had it so hard. It's true that there will be rewards in heaven, but this is not saying you have to go through hard stuff so that you can get earn extra credit with God so that you can spend eternity with him. You got it? Yeah. It's not saying that. It actually, the language here has to do more with God is preparing us or cultivating something in us in the midst of the hardship while we're waiting for the good thing that's off in the future. And the only way I can possibly kind of even come close to thinking about this is like when a mother carries a baby. That when a mother carries a baby, there's this anticipation of the future and the good future that, that's going to come. And, and there's this busyness of preparing the house and getting the rooms ready uh, and, then, uh, and all of that. But then there's also lots of discomfort 
Uh, that's a lot of work to prepare the house and to get, every, get everything ready and buy all the stuff that you need. And then, then there's the physical, I don't know what that's like, but I know for my wife, there's physical discomfort associated with that, right? That actually increases over time as you get closer to the day of the celebration, right? There's this, there's this anticipation, like waiting for this thing in the future that you know will be good somehow changes you. And as it changes you, it's somehow preparing you for the thing that's to come. Does that make sense? That's essentially what Paul is trying to get at. There is this beautiful thing that's assured for you in the future. For It's 100% coming. And as that's coming, there's a reality that this actually affects the way that you live now. And as that affects you, it's actually preparing you for this thing that's going to come. It's going to change you. And none of that, if you think about this in terms of mother, none of that nesting and carrying the baby earns you the right to be a parent. It just shapes you. This is kind of what Paul's talking about when he says that we're being renewed day by day. In light of what's coming in the future, we're being formed more and more so that we're better prepared for what's to come. That there's this, in light of what's happening in the future, because we're living in another tension. The, the first tension is that we're not earning this by, by how hard we suffer. But this, the second tension is that we live in this in-between time. We live in this in-between time of believing and knowing and hoping for the good things that Paul's talking about. But the reality that Paul talks about is outwardly we're wasting away. Or that we have these, these tensions that, that we're living in. We're, li we're living in this in-between time between what will be and what is. What will be one day is unqualified, total, and complete deliverance. One day we won't have to pray for things. That's weird. What are we going to do with our time? Like, you know, like, uh, think about right now. How different would your life be if you weren't caught up in anxious worry on the negative side or if you weren't caught up in praying for things and interceding for things on the good side? Both of those things are things. Those are, those are things that won't be an issue. I don't know what it will be like. But I'm excited. Right now, I've got so much on my mind just personally at a personal level right now. It's hard for me to be present. I've got all these things swirling in my head, and it's just hard for me to live in, the, live in the moment. So I am so excited that one day I will get to be fully present. Fully present. I won't be worried about the future anymore. But that's what will be. What is, is that today we do experience those afflictions and those hardships. Right now, we do experience the birth pains of what's going to come. Paul explains this as though, he says, outwardly, we're wasting away. It feels a little harsh to me. It's like, well, Paul, what do you really think? Right? Sounds a little negative. And he's not simply talking about the physical body, although the older I get, I'm about to be 44, I feel like I, outwardly I am wasting away. I'm at the stage where you make noises every time you sit down or get up. Uh, uh, you know, just, uh, it, just, it just happens with age, so I feel a little bit like that. But he's not talking about just our physical body. He's talking about everything that's temporary is fading. Everything that's temporary is somehow fading. It's wasting away. The hardships that we experience are evidence that things are not the way that they're intended to be. They're wasting away because there's something else that's better that's to come. 
At that same time, what will be in the future is also affecting us right now. We live in this tension between the two of what will be in the future, what is right now. But it's like the, like someone has come from the future and told us what is happening there and is making it a reality here in, in the middle of us. So Paul says, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. It's as though that God is building something and cultivating us something. We're getting tastes of what it will ultimately be like. We're getting tastes of that here and now. That's what Jesus came about. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and people are experiencing healing and deliverance and reconciliation and relationships. He was giving them a taste of what we will do forever. And God's heart and his desire is that we would experience a taste of heaven right now too. That we don't just wait for what will happen one day. We don't ignore how hard it is, but that somehow in the middle of this, we try to bring the future into the present. So here's what this means. We don't deny the hardships that we experience. We just don't let them define us. We don't deny the hardships that we experience. We just don't let those hardships define us. Oftentimes Christians, and, and rightly so, are accused of denying the hardships we experience. Because sometimes that is true. Sometimes Christians can be so future-oriented that they minimize the pain and the difficulties that people go through here in this life. That's true. Even a passage like this can be potentially turned and misconstrued into celebrating hardship in a way that this isn't intending for us to do. Even calling the difficulties that we feel light and momentary. I don't know about you, but I feel like when I'm going through difficulties, like this doesn't feel very light and momentary, Lord. This feels kind of like heavy and ongoing, <laughs> right? It seems a bit dismissive, but this is clearly not what the Apostle Paul taught. It's clearly not the, whole, the overall biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is that we are embodied people who live here and now, who bear in our bodies emotional, physical, spiritual pain, and that God cares about those things because he loves us. He doesn't just love the state that you will be in one day. He loves you right now where you are, right? And so he's not asking us to deny the pain and the hardship and the difficulty. But ultimately, we're defined by more where we're going than where we have been or where we are. That the, 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 the trajectory of the Christian faith is a future-oriented faith. It's an interesting thing. As you read the New Testament, I, I would just encourage you to do this. As you're reading your Bible, as you're reading the New Testament, Notice how much, time, how much time the Apostle Paul or Peter talks about the future hope that we have, about what's coming for us. They're living in a reality, right, that while, while Paul and the other Christians, where they're running for their lives from persecution. And they're, and they're going, guys, here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that Jesus is going to make all of this right one day, and that our future is secure. We're, we have a future-oriented face. We're defined by, by what God is doing in the future, but breaking into the present. So what does that look like when that future breaks into the present? Sometimes it's experiencing overwhelming joy or peace that doesn't match the circumstances. Do you realize that in heaven, when God makes a new heaven and a new earth one day, when he restores all things, that joy will be the marker of your life. 
that peace will be the marker of your life. So when you're in the midst of hardship and difficulty right now here on earth, it's as if you're tasting heaven when you experience some of that joy and that peace. When, when you experience endurance and strength to face the hardship and the difficulty, there are times in your life where it's kind of like, yeah, I'm just gritting my teeth and I'm getting through it. But then there are some times where it feels like, no, the Holy Spirit is at my back propelling me to get through this. That's a taste of a foretaste of what's to come that happens right here and now. Sometimes when people experience deliverance from some sort of oppression or physical healing or whatever it is, emotional healing, whatever it is, that's a foretaste of what's to come. It's the future breaking into the present. That's what it looks like for us to be a future-oriented people that aren't just waiting for something to happen in the future, but saying what is happening out there, we get to taste and experience that right here and right now. Paul's point here is that our, the future glory, no matter whether how much of it we experience it here or not, because the reality is not everybody does experience the same, like it's different for everybody, it will be worth the wait, though. It will be worth the wait. We live in the reality of what Paul's talking about, outwardly being wasting away, but inwardly being renewed day by day. For, it's interesting, for the Bible, this is not a tension. It's a tension for us because we want answers for how all this works. Right? God, why don't I experience all of heaven right now? I don't know. Why didn't this prayer get answered? I don't know. But, and so what we want to do is explain away the tension. And Paul's saying, no. Nah. The tension is, outwardly you're being wasting away, but re be inwardly you're being renewed day by day. It's the reality that you live in. It's the tension of, we, of, of us as Christians to carry the hope for the future in the middle of dark and hard situations. It's the future that defines us. So we fix our eyes, Paul says, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is really, really profound. This is a defining mark of what makes us people of faith. To fix our eyes, not on what we see, not even on what we feel, by what is true that we can't see. So we don't ignore what we see. It's just not what gets the most of our attention. Think about it like this. When you're driving a car, uh, it's part of your responsibility when you're driving a car to notice all the things around you, right? So you're supposed to notice, oh, there's a car coming from this way. Like, out of my periphery, I need to slow down. Or you see a sign, and you look at that sign, and you say, ah, uh, I, know I, need to, I know the speed limit is this. You're, you're observing all the things that are going on around you right? And that's part of what it means to be a, a, a safe driver of a car. However, you can't be so distracted by all of those things that your primary focus is supposed to be what is in front of you out there, right? This is essentially saying that, yes, there are going to be hardships and difficulty. You will be surrounded by that, but that can't be where you fix your eyes. If you do that in your car, you will wreck your car. 
You have to fix your eyes out in front of you. And as Christians, we're supposed to fix our eyes out in front of us and the future hope that we have and say, yes, I see all these things. I feel all these things. But what is about to happen out there right now changes where I am right here. It's a different kind of reality that we live in because we fix our eyes on what is unseen rather than what we see. So Paul's saying, yeah, notice what's happening. Be present in what's happening. It's important that you do, but fix your eyes on the future. It's interesting. Paul is using language. Again, we want to resolve tensions in Scripture that Paul's not interested in, re in resolving. Think about the language. Fix your eyes on something you can't see. That's silliness when you, if you think about it, right? Look at something. Gaze at something that you can't see. But he knows that this is a challenge for us. Guys, if you find yourself having a hard time and a difficult time living out the reality of the scripture, join the club. <laughs> every believer in every generation has had a hard time living in the tension of what the future hope is and what the reality is right now. That's why Paul is saying, look, I know this is hard, but you're going to have to fix your eyes on the future of something you can't see yet. That is why it's called faith. And if you read, the, go, go and read in, in the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, it's chapter 12, right? Chapter 12 or 11, I always forget where it is. But it's in there, and you've got this group of people who are, are hoping for something in the future. And many of whom never actually see this reality come to pass in their life. But yet, the way that Paul is like describing all of them is like, hey... But they get to see it now, and they get to see you walking in this right now. And so right now, they're up in heaven going, come on, man. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. We have this cloud of witnesses. It's like someone coming in the race. You know how it is when people are about to finish a race, and the crowd gathers to see people crossing the finish line? These saints and these people, both the people we've known, I think about my grandparents waiting at the finish line. Keep going, Chael. Keep going. You know people who've gone before you in your life, your parents, your grandparents, people who've labored in prayer, you're going, keep going, keep going. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. There's a future waiting for you. Keep going. This great cloud of witnesses. We have to stay anchored in this future hope. Being anchored in that future hope actually helps us to be present in the difficulties of today rather than the other way around. The people who I know who are the best healers and the people who bring the most hope in hopeless situations are people who have an eternal hope that lives inside of them. It breaks my heart to think about people who all they have is living for today. having the opportunity to spend moments with people just before death who know what their place in heaven is going to be is one of the most beautiful things that we get to experience in this life. It's precious. It's still hard, right? The Apostle Paul is like, says, like, we grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. Because we know that there's something on the other side of this. And it's not like we're, we're ignoring grief. We're just situating it where it needs to be. While we're waiting for the hope of resurrection. What gives you hope today? What gives you endurance? What gives you patience? What drives you to keep going? 
It has to be somehow that our future is secure. All the disciples who saw incredible miracles, think about this. Jesus feeding tens of thousands of people. Jesus raising up a little girl from the dead. Jesus healing lepers. Jesus doing all these kinds of things. As far as we know, all the disciples were martyred. And the first, the first, the early Christians, history books, this is not like a pastor spin on things. History books tell the story of the early Christian martyrs singing hymns of praise to God. And you know, that's one of the things that impacted the Roman Empire because the Romans really were all about like having a glorious death, dying with honor, right? And so here they see the, this family, or they, here they see this disciple who followed Jesus, and they're, and they're being set on fire, they're being fed to the lions, or whatever it is, and somehow in the middle of all of that, they're singing praise to God. That does not make any sense unless you have a hope that's eternal. And if, by the way, as an aside, if there was any, ever, ever any question in your mind as evidence of, did this ever happen? Think about those disciples literally being murdered for their beliefs who say, we saw Jesus after he died. And we, we believe so much that we saw what we saw, we are willing to go to the death. That is proof of the resurrection, guys. Proof of that means we have proof of the future. His faithfulness then means we have faithfulness then. Do you see? What he did then, he will do again. You can come on up, Mark. I learned recently of a... I just find, you ever find yourself on random? You're like, I don't know how I stumbled across this thing on the internet, right? Why am I reading about this right now? I stumbled across something that uh, was about... Uh, Sailing and about boats uh, that didn't have motors. Uh, still, they still use this today. It's something called kedging. And kedging is when a, a, a large unmotorized boat takes an anchor, and someone with a small boat, a small boat, goes out way ahead of where the large boat is going to be. And they, it's when a boat is trying to get into a narrow channel or a harbor, and they're going to have difficulty steering. So what they'll do is they'll take in this small boat, take this anchor, and they'll go where they want the boats to eventually go and drop the anchor there. Any, any number of distance because they know that's the fixed point where they're going. And then what they'll do is they will use that anchor that's cast out where they want to go into the future to help them get to where they want to go. That is what I'm talking about spiritually here. We have this fixed anchor in the future that Jesus has already made, made a way for. He is the author and the finish of our faith. He is the one who has gone before us. Our future is secure, right? We know where we're going. So what we have to do is fix our eyes on where we're going and not just where we've been and not just what's happening right now, but where this is ultimately going. We've got a kedge, so to speak. I think that's what this anchoring thing is all about. Having an anchor in the future. Your future is secure. When the Apostle Paul writes, death, where is your state? He's not writing that there won't be death. He's just saying, it's not going to sting like it used to. Because we know there's resurrection to follow. The promise for us of 
as believers is forever and ever in glory with God. Every tear wiped away, every pain, everything restored. That's your future. And it is secure. If we have that, it gives us hope in hopeless situations. If we have that hope in our secure future, it helps us to not lose heart. Why do you tell someone don't lose heart? Because there's probably a reason it would seem to lose heart, right? Like, Paul's writing this to a group of people who probably are like, I'm kind of losing heart here, so what's Paul saying? Don't do that. Don't do it because you have a future that far outweighs whatever it is that you're experiencing here and now. Don't lose heart. If we have this anchor in the future, we know that our future is secure. It helps us to see the temporary nature of hardship. When you're in the middle of hardship, when you're in the middle of difficulty, it doesn't always feel temporary. Sometimes it feels like, will this ever end? Anyone ever felt that way? Is this ever going to Is this ever going to go? It will go. It will. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. It will. Some of you will experience that before we get there. Some of you, I don't know. But I'm not going to stop praying. We're not going to live with, with, with a sense of, uh, of, of focusing on, on that. We're focusing on, on our future that says this is temporary. There's so many things in my life I look back and go, oh, my gosh, that felt like it lasted forever. It was a blink of an eye. Thinking about my kids, like, <laughs> right? Thinking about my kids driving and going to college. I was just holding them as babies. Like, I remember the dark night of the soul that was not sleeping when your baby won't sleep. Anyone else in the room? Like, this will never end. We made vows. We will never have children again. Like, like what are we doing? Like, uh, right? It just feels like it's going to last forever. But joy comes in the morning. Weeping lasts for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. And we don't have to just sit around and wait for it. We don't have to just, just wait for something in the future. It can actually change the way we endure the hardship that we're experiencing right now. Keep us going. When we know that our future is secure, it helps us to then be formed into the image of Jesus while we're in this middle space between what is and what will be. Here's, here's what I know for sure, that one day when I meet Jesus, I will look like him. I know that with 100% certainty. So while I'm going through hardship and difficulty right now, the question is, how can I be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? How can I be more like him today? Jesus, how are you helping me? And there have been situations where I don't believe in any way it was from the Lord, but I believe that God doesn't waste anything. And so I'm like, God, whatever it is, I, I want to be more like you. I want to have more patience, more endurance, more understanding, more empathy, more love. I want to have more determination to intercede and pray for the breakthrough, just like you did, Jesus. You see, we're formed in the in-between space. And when we have our, our anchor in the future, when we're 100% convinced of it, 
and empowers us to pray for that and to do everything we can to see that happen here and now. Remember what I said last week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we are the answer to that prayer. Good works create in advance for you to do, right? So I can look out in the future and say, okay, God, here's what I know. I know that one day, there, I know that one day there, there will never be any lonely people. So how can I, how can my life, how can our church, how can we be the kind of people that people don't feel lonely now? How do we provide a glimpse and a taste of heaven because of what we know the future holds for us, right? If we know what that future is and empowers us for today. If you've ever played cards and you know you've got the winning hand, you play a lot differently, right? If you know I am going to win, like, right? You are going to win. You are destined for it. So you get to play, you get to put all of your chips in. Don't hold anything back for the future. Why? You get to go all in on Jesus. There's no hedging bets here. It's, it's him and my future or nothing. Right? Would you stand? Lord, I pray for my friends today that the reality of the future would infect the present in such a way that we cannot look at the world the same way that we used to. I pray, Jesus, that the vision of heaven, the vision of a restored and a renewed earth changes our minds and our hearts to be present and bring the healing and the hope of heaven into every place where we live. I pray now, Lord, that right now, that anchor in the future would give us hope for today, Lord. I pray for anyone who's discouraged and feeling beat down and pushed down by the world, that they would have an anchor of hope that wells up in in their soul. That's otherworldly peace that passes understanding. I can't get it. Fix your eyes on what's not seen, not what's unseen, what's seen right now. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to do that in a way that gives us hope and healing, Lord, that sets us free to be people of healing and hope. Lord, I pray for anyone right now, maybe who is sitting in the room who's like still, I've not yet made a real decision to follow Jesus. I pray that today would be the day they would give their heart completely and totally you and trust your heart. Jesus is so kind. He's so good. He's so merciful. He is, he is trustworthy with your heart. He is trustworthy with your life. So I pray, Lord, they would just offer their life up to you right now. Jesus, have your way in my life. If that's you, you don't have to pray a special prayer. Just talk to Jesus right now. And I do pray, God, while while your people are in your presence, that we would experience the power and the glory that's to come in our midst right now. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to heal hearts and minds and physical bodies. Give us a foretaste even more, Lord, of what's to come. Give us a conviction of hope. We love you and we thank you. Amen.
if you're if you feel stirred up in any way by this like hey that like really touched on some stuff i'd just love to pray for you so just remember that up here is open uh, if you feel like I, this is something i need prayer for we'd love to pray for you uh if not just know next week we're going to start our advent series can you believe christmas is here uh so it's crazy we're going to start our advent series next week so come rally ready to celebrate uh the the coming of jesus see ya